and welcome. My name is Nicholas Ward and this is Historical Hysteria. Today our topic is everything the man doesn't want you to know about the history of cannabis. An episode that would have been super effective five years ago, before recreational cannabis became so mainstream around the world. Cannabis, otherwise known as hemp, marijuana, or Bambalacha, if you believe one 1943 Time article, which I don't, is a flowering plant that for the last 100 years has been the subject of one of the most broad prohibitions in history. And yet, in many ways, the story of human civilization is the story of the cannabis plant. Its story stretches way back to the dawn of humanity, which is why today we are doing five things the man doesn't want you to know about cannabis, starting with number five. It is the second oldest cultivated plant. Archaeological evidence of hemp cultivation goes back 12,000 years to the dawn of human agriculture, narrowly beaten out by wheat. Hemp cultivation has been found present in almost every culture across Afro-Eurasia. Though written records of hemp only date back a more modest 5,000 years, it is likely that hemp and human progress have been intertwined since early man first settled down to farm the Euphrates. Hemp is extremely easy to cultivate and process into usable fibres like cloth and rope, and its seeds when crushed produce oil. It is likely this fibre drove early human technological development. First spun into cloth and rope, allowing us to harness horses and cattle, make tents, sails, clothing, and drift out into the wider world. Essentially, hemp can be turned into usable fibres with a stick and some water. But even once cotton and linen were cultivated, hemp stayed the king of cultivation because, number four, it is mildew-resistant. Hemp is naturally a mildew-resistant fibre, and I know what you're thinking. Am I seriously going to listen to someone talking about mildew? Yes, you are, because it's what that meant for pre-plastic societies that made hemp so important. When Columbus sailed to America, he did so with 70 tonnes of hemp. Everything from sails to ropes to their tents were made from hemp. Prior to the 1950s, basically everything outdoors-related was made from hemp. The word canvas and cannabis both come from the same ancient Greek word, cannabis. The word canvas originally meant made from hemp, or made from cannabis. Hemp was ideal for sails and tarps. In 1588, when the small British defence fleet defeated the Spanish Armada, they needed as much as 10,000 acres of hemp under cultivation just to supply their fleet. It became the driver for all major maritime trade. In fact, hemp was so important to trade empires, George Washington, a major tobacco cultivator, briefly considered switching his tobacco plantations for hemp. And the English colony of Virginia even made it the law that all farmers had to grow hemp at one point. Strong, cheap, and mildew-resistant hemp would form the basis of all shipping industries worldwide until the 1950s. But its strength and practicality weren't the only reason it was so popular, because number three... It is the fastest growing plant in the world. Proponents of bamboo fibre as an ecological fabric love to point out it is the fastest growing plant in the world. But there is another, which pushes bamboo into a distant, distant second. Hemp reaches maturity from seed to plant in just two months in the right conditions, which is likely why it was cultivated by humans so early. It has such rapid growth, there is even some evidence of cultivation by nomads, a group famous for not cultivating agriculture. Most farms through history kept small plots of cannabis, which they would use for ropes, sacks, and clothing. Weirdly, if you Google fastest growing plants, most sites claim bamboo is the fastest growing plant, which is true in terms of height, but not maturity, with hemp being harvestable after as little as 60 days, but bamboo taking as much as 3 to 7 years. 
It's easy to see how such a fast-growing and versatile plant would have been the workhorse of any agrarian society. But what about in the industrial world? Well, hemp stayed the king of fibres in the industrial era because, number two, it is five times more productive than timber and three times stronger than cotton. Hemp cloth is three times stronger than cotton, grows faster, requires less processing and less water. And what's more, it is orders of magnitude more productive per acre. For millennia, this productivity made hemp the indisputable champion of proto-industry, and come the Industrial Revolution, it began to shape up to take its crown. The insane grow rate of hemp made it a prime candidate for industrialization. Every part of it was usable, its seeds make oil, its stem rope and paper, and its buds... Well, we'll get into that part. Come the early 20th century, industrialists like Edison and Ford were experimenting with humble farm products and turning them into super products. The soybean became one of the major basis of the auto-revolution. But what of humble hemp? Well, with literacy increasing, demand for paper was going through the roof. In 1798, Louis-Nicolas Robert invented the first paper-making machine, and education and reading was revolutionised. In 1843, wood pulp was introduced to paper-making, paper and paper would go from an artisan industry, hand-making sheets for the wealthy, to being a multi-billion dollar industry, producing some 600,000 tonnes per year as of 2020. Hemp had been one of the first materials used to make paper, but had fallen by the wayside when wood pulp could be industrialised more efficiently. However, in 1916, two US scientists working for the Department of Agriculture rediscovered the potential of hemp using modern manufacturing techniques, and wrote a paper in support of hemp paper. With new paper-making techniques, hemp was shown to be five times more productive than an acre of pine trees. And that's not including how much more efficient it is in regards to harvesting and transportation. But in the 1920s, newspaper magnate William Randolph Hearst began running moral panic stories about cannabis, even inventing the term marijuana to make it sound more Latin, because racism. And the moral panic about a plant that had been cultivated by most of the founding fathers now became common. Henry Anslinger, the director of the Bureau of Narcotics, said of cannabis, quote, There are 100,000 total marijuana smokers in the US, and most are Negroes, Hispanics, Filipinos, and entertainers. Their satanic music, jazz, and swing result from marijuana use. This marijuana causes white women to seek sexual relations with Negroes, entertainers, and any others. End quote. By sheer coincidence, Hearst had massive investment in timber plantations and paper mills, while Anslinger was a surprisingly bipartisan anti-drug crusader. His main political backers were the Southern Democrats, at the time a largely rural Southern-based party, heavily based in segregation and social conservatism. By 1931, 29 states had restricted hemp production, and in 1937, the US passed the Marijuana Tax Act. It was prohibition in all but name. Though the act was officially only targeting recreational cannabis, it applied prohibitively high taxation on industrial hemp production as well, driving the industry out of business. Hearst has become the epicentre of the anti-cannabis crusade of the early 20th century, but his role is perhaps overstated. The political implications of prohibitionists like Anslinger and the wider political movement to stoke fear of and suppress black cultural movements played as much of a part in this saga as Hearst did. Hearst, however, did provide substantial financial backing for the anti-hemp laws and the extension of hemp bans from recreational to industrial. And the extension of hemp bans from recreational and medicinal to industrial was probably influenced in no small part by people like Hearst and the timber lobby. And this is why, despite the incredible industrial applications of hemp, it largely died out in the industrial era. But it is another aspect 
of the hemp plant which has inflamed passions through the 20th and 21st century. The fact that, number one, it gets you super high. I mean, it's medicinal. For nearly a hundred years, the world had medical heroin, but not medical marijuana. Medical research into cannabis has faced significant hurdles over the 20th century. In many countries, a doctor could prescribe medicinal heroin, but not cannabis. Thanks to an easing of prohibition, however, the medicinal properties of cannabis are starting to be better understood. Current research is investigating its usefulness in treating everything from anxiety to Parkinson's. But the use of cannabis as a medicine far, far predates the 21st century. It was used in various pain medications, turned into tinctures, salves, even into poison antidotes, used to treat everything from headaches to pregnancy. As a plant which fueled agriculture and pre-modern medicine, it found its way into the gardens of everyone from the lowest peasant to the highest lords, a fact that has in many ways been written out of popular history over the 20th century. But the increasing breaking of the taboo in the late 20th century helped the consciousness of hemp spread. And the fact that people like George Washington and Thomas Jefferson both grew hemp became common knowledge. And as people have uncovered the surprising characters through history that cultivated hemp, brave souls have asked the question, was Washington hitting that blunt? Unsurprisingly, questions like this are controversial, and social pressure has often prevented studies into historical recreational cannabis use. This taboo on even discussing historical facts helped spread urban legends about founding fathers blazing their way through the revolution in more ways than one. But now the hysteria around hemp is dying down. What do we actually know about marijuana usage through history? And most importantly, did Washington smoke that blunt? Archaeological finds of braziers from around the 4th millennia BC, which had long been thought ceremonial, have recently been suggested by some academics as evidence of the use of cannabis in smoke rituals, in tribal smoke rituals. Such smoke rituals certainly have precedent in recorded history. Cannabis smoke or steam was recorded by Greek historian Herodotus in the 5th century BCE during a Scythian funeral. He described the smoke or steam as making the Scythians frenzied, though this was often dismissed as inconclusive through the 20th century. To be fair, it's not like Herodotus said the Scythians used the smoke like others use drink, becoming intoxicated as they breathe it. No, Herodotus never said that. That was Cassius Maximus Tyrius in the 2nd century BCE observing the same cultural funeral rites. These observations provide very good evidence for recreational marijuana usage 2,000 years ago, but it also suggests the Greeks and Romans might not have been familiar with the recreational side of hemp. But hemp was used in various Roman and Greek medicines, including the incredibly popular Mithridates and Theriac antidotes, which were popular throughout Europe and Asia until the Industrial Revolution. Though whether hemp used in these would have gotten the user high is unknown. Although it would probably have been hard to tell, because one of the other key ingredients was poppy milk, an opiate that was a kind of proto-heroin. The unambiguously psychotropic hashish derived from cannabis has been around for at least 1,000 years, used both as a drug and medicine, largely in the Middle East and India. There are records that Napoleon's soldiers took a liking to it during the occupation of Egypt and brought it back to France. This could imply an unfamiliarity with hemp as a drug, However, records on recreational cannabis usage are still somewhat scarce during this period. US popular history and authors of moral panics like Henry Anslinger generally claim that recreational cannabis usage arrived in the US with immigrants around the 20th century. But because of the commonality of hemp pre-20th century, and the fact that many American founding fathers grew hemp, it raises the question, 
if this is true, did recreational marijuana arrive in America before the 20th century? Some groups have decided to tackle the question head on. The Mount Vernon Museum vehemently denies that George Washington could have ever used recreational cannabis. Though Washington appreciated the industrial benefits of hemp, there really is no evidence in any of his writings of his consuming it recreationally. But while I can't say Washington used the Bambalacha, there are a few founding fathers we can make a pretty good argument did, including Governor Morris and the one and only Benjamin Franklin. See, Morris and Franklin suffered from gout, and one of the most common treatments for gout at the time were tinctures made from hemp. Hemp would only get more popular through the 19th century, with many more drugs being derived from the THC-bearing buds. And with many of these medicines widely used and freely available in the United States, we can make a very good guess not everyone was using it medicinally. Unfortunately, while we know that hemp was used medicinally all over the world, recreational records, especially in Europe, are few and far between, leading many historians to come to the conclusion Europeans may just not have used hemp recreationally until it was introduced to them. This was certainly the argument used by groups such as the South African government in 1903 when they became one of the first nations to adopt widespread bans on cannabis, blaming it on being imported by Indian workers. The problem with this argument is that many of the first concrete records for recreational cannabis usage only start with the moral panics of the late 19th century, as do many of the records on recreational narcotic usage, because prior to this it was, heavy quotations, medicine. So differentiating who was using it medicinally and who was using it recreationally is often very difficult. So was hemp used recreationally? Well, in many cultures around the world, the answer is a simple yes. The Middle East, India, and parts of Africa have long records of hemp usage, both religiously and recreationally, but in Europe, North America, and many parts of East Asia, we are left with the very unsatisfactory answer of maybe. The wide and free availability of drugs through the 19th century has led to what's been called the Great Binge, a period in which recreational consumption of narcotics just exploded around the world. However, as the great binge of the 19th century began to wind down, governments began putting in place the first restrictions on narcotics, creating the concept of prescription medicine. Initially, cannabis was treated no differently than any other drug, and it could have gone into the future that way, as a restricted industrial and medicinal product, just like opiates or amphetamines or any other number of drugs. Instead, prohibition on cannabis was so aggressive, it drove the entire industry out of business. Why? Well, Anslinger's racism, the blind fanaticism of the prohibitionists, and the money of the industrialists all played a role during this period. Anslinger would testify to Congress without evidence that a single toke of marijuana could send a user insane, while Hearst would back this up with completely objective stories about reefer madness basically every other day in his papers. Following the end of Prohibition, Anslinger, Hearst, and their allies kept up the pressure on cannabis, lobbying for increased controls and harsher penalties, which would go on to play a role in the drug wars of the later 20th century. The prohibition on cannabis would become so tight that between 1934 and 1990 there would be only 18 medical research projects into the drug. By comparison, there were 11 research projects into cannabis in 2010 alone. And how the extreme prohibition of the Americans became a worldwide prohibition is a complex story of aggressive American trade imperialism post-World War II, in which trade deals were often predicated on accepting things like America's version on drug restrictions and copyright. But that is a story for another time. That is all we have time for today. Thank you for joining me. 
Feedback can be sent to historicalhysteria at gmail.com and don't forget to check out the socials r slash historicalhysteria on reddit and at manic history on twitter. But before I leave, let me leave you with this. Plymouth Rock is a modestly sized rock with the numbers 1620 carved on it on the beach of Plymouth, Massachusetts, supposedly the site of the landing of the Mayflower. Plymouth Rock has been a site of reverence for Americans since the Revolution, celebrating the first English to come to America seeking freedom. Unfortunately, there is no evidence this rock is the rock the settlers landed on. The first written record of the rock revered today comes from 1741, and the date 1620 was inscribed in 1880. Also, while many Puritans did flee persecution in England, many, including the crew of the Mayflower, actually went to America to create persecution. The Massachusetts Bay Colony was established to create a religious utopia, and part of that utopia meant no Jews, no Catholics, and no Church of England. In 1635, Roger Williams, a Puritan preacher, was expelled from Massachusetts in no small part for preaching religious tolerance. Sources for today's episode include colonialwilliamsburg.org, mountvernon.org, and, and the Handbook of Cannabis. Thanks, and bye.